Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Good morning. My name is Angelina Carlton. I'm the founder of Legacy Planning. Have you ever wondered what the members of the Family Office Club do to build their personal legacies? This morning, I have the pleasure of introducing Andres Ospina. He is the director of the Family Office Club, and he has over a decade of marketing and business-to-business networking experience. Having produced, hosted, and or spoken at over 400 corporate conferences and seminars worldwide, his strength lies in the ability to understand the common trends and patterns in marketing cycles, market trends, and buyer psychology across multiple industries. His background has attracted organizations to bring him on board to train and consult on practical and technical sales strategies that he now brings to the Family Office Club based in Florida. He is the head of the Charter Membership Division, as well as the marketing agency Pitch Decks that onboards 100 plus clients to date. He's also currently one of the main copywriters for the Family Office Club regarding their emails, their websites, and online content, writing many of the scripts that uh, the company sends out to its members as well as its prospects. And he also handles the client videos and much more. His experience in capital raising and investor relations also includes real estate wholesaling in South Florida. And he frequently can be seen in the Family Office Club stage events and podcasts, interviewing many of the family offices and private investors within our community. So welcome, Andres. Thank you, Angelina. Really happy to be here. You know, we've, uh, we've been speaking a lot probably since the beginning that I got started with the Family Office Club is when I first learned about your organization. So, um, so it, it's great to, to be your guest on your podcast. Yes, my pleasure to have you join. And I do, I remember that you were uh, one of the first people that I spoke to at the Family Office Club and you were so kind, as I've mentioned. That must have been back in what, 2015 or 16 ballpark? Yeah, ballpark uh, yeah. around there. About yeah. five years ago, approximately, I was the sole uh, sales rep for the charter membership division, and <clears throat> the agency hadn't even existed yet. And I it, just started working with Richard. Yes, and it's grown tremendously, and I and I love all the events, and and I've attended one of them in San Francisco, and I think it's um, a positive resource, um, as we've mentioned before, recording this morning. So to get started, I know that you've got stories to share regarding. A um, hundred or more of the Family Office Club members that you have interviewed over the years. But before we start, would you break down for the listeners um, what is a family office for those who might not know? Yeah, a family office uh, can be defined in a lot of different ways. Uh, the way that our company really likes to define it is um, a small boutique investment bank that works strictly for one family. And that was created by that one family. Usually when families and individuals reach a certain level of wealth, we usually, you know, say around the $100 million range, okay. which we also coined as the centimillionaire range, right? Because yes. uh, no two millionaires can be, can be the same, right? Yes. yes. Uh, someone, make, someone worth $2 million is very different than someone worth $200 million. And their uh, needs... So, Yes, in their needs, so we their call mandates. them centimillionaires. Yes, yep. yes. Uh, so we call them centimillionaires. But once you've reached that level of wealth, over $100 million in assets under management, then what a family should do uh, and what many now do and have been doing for a long time, but it's become a little easier thanks to technology, is that instead of outsourcing 
their financial, uh, their financial management, uh, their property management, their human resources for all their employees and their chief of staff, uh, outsourcing all of that out to other companies, they should just create their own individual company that does all of that for them. They should bring in a banker or a fund manager from a big bank, get them out of that big bank to work strictly managing the funds of that family uh, and managing and helping also uh, track, you know, any of the real estate assets that the company has or Or the businesses they buy or the businesses that they buy. Usually they put someone in position like the chief investment officer who many times in the beginning can be the patriarch or the matriarch of the family or one of the, one of the adult children in the family. Yeah. Uh, but instead of outsourcing property management, they should bring on the chief investment officer and an in-house property manager and an in-house chief of staff and an in-house legacy planner, uh, you know, many times. So many different things that they can hire within to help manage all the different assets and all the different logistics involved mm-hmm. when you're worth hundred million. Usually it's multiple generations at that point. So it's not just a couple and their kids. Usually those kids already have families as well. Right. We're talking multiple generations, which means multiple trusts, multiple inheritances, and all of those things. It's better to be managed in-house under one boutique shop created by the family under that family's name versus having to outsource to a bunch of different contractors and businesses and banks to manage all of that for you. So I would, I would think it, it increases their control over what they then have. Massively, massively. Yeah. Compared and to waiting in line. Aligned. Yeah. So there's the pros and the, pros and the cons if they work with a big bank or a big organization, financial institution, compared to if they, they start to proactively create their own team. And there's very little cons. There's very little cons to doing it because okay. once again, it's more control. You are going to have your best interest in mind. Um, that CIO will have the family's best interest in mind versus the bank's best interest in mind or the financial institution's best interest in mind because the family does become the financial institution itself. Right, right. So some statistics to introduce the topic again to any of the listeners and and viewers who might not know. Uh, As of 2013, there were about 111,000 ultra high net worth individuals worth $30 million or more as well as 7,000 to 10,000 formalized family offices. So it's also, I understand, becoming more popular in areas such as Asia and Latin America that may have not known about this concept 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's about, once again, that concept. I mean, there have been many families that don't even know they're a family office, but they were bringing everything in-house a single family office. They brought, were bringing everything in-house already okay. and they didn't realize that they were already a family office and there were just a couple of minor changes that they, could have, that they could do to have more control and to also focus on their legacy, make sure that the investments are aligned with the ethics and the mandates of the family. Very good. And I think it's smart business to organize it. And it's also just smart, what I would call heritage to get it organized compared to allowing uh, details to get lost with people being busy or not allowing it to be a priority. Because when we make these conversations uh, or when we bring these conversations to the forefront, the clarity it can bring around both the soft side of legacy planning, as well as the harder side regarding assets and portfolios, the benefits and the return on investment are exponential. So, yes. um, All right. So we've got the introductory, some definitions out of the way regarding what a family office is. So you have interviewed over a hundred different family, families, family offices, uh, members of these families. Do you have any good stories to share? Yeah, um, great, good stories to share. Uh, there's, there's a lot. Um, I've uh, been able to uh, go inside of um, uh, Mitzi Purdue from the Purdue family. She, uh, you know, the Purdue, Purdue uh, meats and Purdue chicken, you've probably seen in supermarkets, yes. five generations. Uh, she spoke at our event. She spoke about legacy. Okay. Uh, and she, I actually got to uh, to walk into her uh, her Mercedes Sprinter. 
Okay. A huge Mercedes Sprinter that she just completely decked out uh, from the on the inside, you know, beautiful leather seats and cashmere. And I had this, uh, this, I think it's called a cashmere egg. Okay. You know, it's like, it's like yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. yes, yes. It came out, it was, and it was, it came out literally from like a cup holder and it was covered in gold with diamonds and emeralds. Um, and it was just never seen one of those in my life. And, and it was in her, in her Mercedes Sprinter. Uh, and got to have a pretty interesting conversation with her about it on the topic of legacy planning. So that was really great. So, uh, so she then, has this very unique egg. And then what did she have to share about legacy? Because I know that she's been very successful in her own right, as well as uh, yeah. partnering with her, her dad and her husband in businesses. So what, yeah, what is, absolutely. What, so how do you think she's approaching the topic of legacy? Well, so she made just some really great points and it's a presentation that I've, I've I heard three years ago and and I never forgot it. So one of the main things that she said was that the wealth of the family will be protected across multiple generations. If the children understand the history of the family, Yes. if they understand the hard work that their grandparents and their great grandparents had to put in, in order to really, uh, in order to really, um, build that initial wealth and And they're more likely to protect it yes yes they're more likely to protect it and they're more likely to also feel proud about their heritage about their family okay um and the way that she did that is that she had an app developer build an app that was exclusively for the family oh that's nice okay it was like a purdue family app Right. So everybody in the family had access to the app and they could communicate through the app. They could see what family events were coming up. Okay. And they could also, there was also a section in the app where they could learn about the history of the family. So that's very proactive. That was a way to really keep them. Yeah. yeah very yeah. proactive. And for some families, learning about the history is mandatory, but in other families, it's something brand new that they're starting. And I think a part of the, the reason is if the offspring, um, so I don't call them adult children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if if the offspring um, can have a point of reference to the 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 lifestyle that they've been granted, then yeah. it isn't just like there's a, a presumption that it's always going to be there. If they can understand the building blocks of what was invested, not just financially, but also in terms of the sweat equity and the mindset and the struggles and the stories, then they can then they understand that and I'll use the word privilege for a moment, then they can understand that the privilege that's been granted to them isn't just, um, you know, I I would call, isn't just easy. It was earned. Yeah. And and they're just less likely to feel entitled. Yeah. Entitled to it. But I think sometimes that's the part that gets left out because if they just see the the fruit of the labor, they don't understand the labor that went into it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And entitlement is, is, and the other thing is that today, especially in today's world, people feel entitled whether they have wealth or not. <laughs> you know, uh, people feel entitled for many different reasons. And I'm a little bit more, I'm, I'm you know, you don't have a, a politically correct guest here with me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Today. Good. Yes. Uh, yes. And, so, and I'll share you're on vacation right now. And that's why the family office emblem is not on the background. In, in terms of yeah. you know, the formalities, I, this is more of an informal conversation. Well, yeah, and I'm not on vacation. I'm, I'm, I'm actually working. I'm just working East Coast times. Okay. Europe. <laughs> Blending play um, and work, which is very healthy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I now have my daytimes free versus my evenings. Um, but, um, but the thing about it is that uh, entitlement has grown as an attitude in the United States. People yes, let's talk about this. This is a very key point. Keep going. People feel entitled to jobs, to money, right? Uh, to to access to certain things, um, simply for 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 being in existence. And while it's not about whether they are or they aren't, you hey. know, but what I was taught is that the world is not fair. And if the world was fair, it would be boring. Yeah. Well, different people are raised differently. Yeah. Some yeah. have more idealistic 
um, childhoods compared to when there's exactly but especially nowadays with that entitlement attitude especially for the wealthy mm-hmm. when you have the younger generations that do tend to have more of an entitlement attitude versus the older generations mm-hmm. from back in the 50s and the 60s that understand that they had to put in that work right you know you see this a lot in asian culture asian asian offspring will stay with their families for their whole lives and never leave their parents in order to be able to support the family structure. You don't see that because in American culture, people are more, I'm entitled to leave my family and to go pursue my dreams at all costs and, and sacrifice family. Right. Uh, So, so there's just a different mindset. And with that attitude, if you're going to inherit a portion of the wealth that your, that your family has built for multiple generations, then it can be squandered with that attitude, um, yeah. which is you know, really the case. Just like the Vanderbilt family lost it very quickly within a matter of decades. Yes. It's about 85% of wealthy families will lose the majority of their wealth between the first and the third generation. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to play off of something you just said regarding entitlement. And I actually wanted to write a blog article about this. I just haven't found the time yet. So I think with today's generation, let's bring up food for a moment. You could, and I'm not yeah. saying that all Generation Z is ignorant, but let's say you ask Generation Z, where does the food come from? And they say the grocery store. But a yeah. hundred years ago, a <laughs> hundred years ago, somebody would have to plan decades out uh, or, or even years out regarding the farm. When do I plant? When do I harvest? You know, what do I have in inventory? Um, and, and, and so there's, a, there's a, a broader mindset. But I think in today's instant culture, even with technology and, and with the advancement of smart cities, for instance, there's an expectation of I want it now or I want it yesterday. But then the yep. part that gets missing is all of the effort that has to go into the planning. And sometimes you win and the crops come up and sometimes you lose. And I think that story 100%. gets... Sometimes the story that that part of the story gets left out. So I, I like the fact that families like Mitzi Purdue are filling in the chapters. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're using technology to do it. Using Inco- yes. Yes. Apps, yes. Know, to be able to keep the family aligned with when there's a potential opportunity for a family trip. Yeah. You know, you and, like that, keep the family together. And I think a part of the. And, inti- and it's about building that pride. That yes. pride in your last name. And, you know, if you're not proud about where you come from, about your bloodline, then that's where you can squander what was built and, you know, and then feeling, feeling entitled to a certain inheritance then can create a lot of legal trouble, which you see as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also understand sometimes founders can also be a tad narcissistic and I mean, not always, but sometimes they could be the hindrance regarding (laughs) passing on that knowledge because if they lose what they have built and they transfer it then they have to find new reasons to wake up in the morning new Mm -hmm. a new greater purpose and sometimes that can also be something that's difficult if it's like tearing it away from the founder or the person that's had the power because power can be addicting you know whether or not we want to be transparent about that yes yes no absolutely everybody wants recognition everybody wants to be remembered Right. And that's that's you know that's inherently how we're built. Okay. Um, you know, unless we have kind of spiritual practices that can make us Balance aware it. of that and then right. not make us slaves to that. Yes. Yes. There's some things that will fill our pocketbook, and there's some there's some things that will fill our souls. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the Family Office Club has members in 22 countries. Are there any other stories that come to mind? And I know Mitzi Purdue also has an amazing book that she's written that can help. The, the readers and viewers, if they're so interested. Yep. Um, so it's versus stories, you know, that what I really have. Or tools is, or tools. Is insights. advice. Yeah. Okay. Is advice, right? Okay. Um, if, you know, the, the reason that the family office club exists is because family offices are great investment firms mm-hmm. to target if you're raising capital for your own legacy, for your own dreams, for your own goals, for your own company, for your own fund. Mm-hmm. Now, why are they such a good resource? Now, while they are secretive and they can be hard to find, right? there's less bureaucracy involved when negotiating with them than if you were negotiating with an angel group or a private equity group. Um, because 
you're just talking to that patriarch and that one or that one chief investment officer okay. about the potential opportunity that you may have for them to invest in your venture. Okay. Now, the great thing is that going back to legacy, if you can align your deal, right, and your mission with their legacy, then you can create a long-standing relationship with these family offices and a partnership. Mm-hmm. you know, for them to potentially invest in your venture. Uh, and that's important to keep in mind. I mean, that's why it's this conversation is, is so important. These families want to leave behind a legacy that's aligned with their past already. Or okay. for example, I sat down with a billion dollar family office okay. and he wanted to now you know, he, his family came from multiple generations. They're from India, multiple generations of steel manufacturing. Okay. And multiple generations of steel manufacturing means that they left behind a, a, a big carbon footprint. <laughs> and they wanted to move to more um, environmentally friendly opportunities. So this family is actually trying to shift their entire image to yes. be more environmentally conscious. Okay. So if you can align yourself and find and, and and really ask the right questions and find out what type of legacy they want to leave behind. And that's how you can be an intermediary, sorry, or broker for the opportunities that they're seeking and opportunities that you may have available. Yeah, to support their vision, their legacy vision. Mm-hmm. So with this particular family in India or another one that might come to mind, what would you say would be a, a few of the top values that they're trying to honor now that they've become more aware of the influence and impact of their family's business? Uh, family is one. Okay. They really want to leave behind a, a, a name of their family versus like being, you know, steel tycoons. Okay. You know, they want to leave behind a... a, a something that can really change the world. Okay. Um, but at the same time, they want a wealth preservation. You know, okay. a lot of these family offices, they're not looking for the next unicorn okay. per se, or they may, the have a per, or they may have a, a small percentage of their portfolio that's dedicated to high risk, high return investments. But the majority of their portfolio is going to be centered around wealth preservation. How do we keep our wealth preserved? Sure. And growing at a consistent, moderate rate. And I think also a part of that wealth is that human capital, in addition to the financial diversification. Yeah. Crucial. Yeah. Crucial. They want to be able to be strategic partners in most of what they do. Okay. So you would say that one of the themes or patterns that you're seeing right now is the priority around a family's legacy, that that is a topic coming to the forefront do you think that's because it feels like things are changing so much in the landscape or what do you think might be instigating that? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the conversation comes up okay. and it's, it's, it's once again, it's the, the, what's important to them is wealth preservation. Okay. Okay. And how do you do that? You do that by having great audacious goals. Ah, BHAGs. Yes. Okay. Cause, cause, if it's just about wealth preservation, then, then you know the motivation, the inspiration can it's, lack. It's got to be more than just the money. Yes. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be you know more than just that. So so that's you know you got to give everyone right. There's that human factor. You got to give everyone a mission to stand behind. Yes. So that's why it is it, it is important. Okay. Um, but at the but really at the forefront is going to be wealth preservation. They okay. want to know how can I save that extra two three percent on my taxes. Because for them, 2%, 3% on their taxes is adds huge. Up. It adds up. Yeah. It's huge. It's a $300 million portfolio, right? That, right. That 1% is $30 million. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think also, like you had mentioned before, the offspring and the future generations, they would like those individuals to be strong in understanding how to manage what I might call metaphorically the ship. When they become the ship's captain, they can handle the high seas and the rough waters and because that's a part of the stories of what these families have endured. They've lived through the Great Depression. They've lived through different historic events to know how to navigate those waters politically and with litigation and enemies out there and all those topics that, that come with wealth. I mean, yep. so a, a part of wealth is wonderful. And then there's another part where um, they don't give you the memo or the white paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to learn on the job. 
<laughs> well, I always had a mentor tell me like, you know, a mentor that was very wealthy telling me like, you know, it's really hard to be rich, but it was really hard when I was poor. So I just chose my heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there are blind spots with each. And I think yeah. also legacy is one of those newer conversations. I mean, I, I, when we had first spoke, I had mentioned that I went into the marketplace and I looked at coaches and who, who would be there if I wanted to have somebody guide my legacy. And I found coaches of a lot of different other varieties, but I couldn't find legacy coaches. And maybe they were held at uh, some of the financial firms like Deloitte or, you know, some of those bigger accounting firms that would have a legacy mm -hmm. division. But I think there's also a softer side to the conversation of when you spoke about that mission statement before, how do we unite a group? How do we facilitate an entire family to stand behind uh, a set of core values that everyone is in agreement with all the different generations so they all feel that their voice is being honored yeah absolutely um it's important as the family gets larger you know it becomes more of a challenge you know it's uh families can grow exponentially right yes you have three kids and those three kids each have three kids and now you have a family of 12 all of a sudden just in two generations and then yeah. if they get married, right, and you have to add that into account, right, because those those three kids each have a spouse, that's six. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. you have to include the, the challenges and the money lost when it comes to divorce or when it comes to anything that could happen, you know, from a, from a, from a you know, a breaking the law standpoint, you know? Yeah, the surprises. Like that. Yeah, yeah the surprises that come up. And I want to touch upon something before we move to the next question. And that is, um, I think, an area around self-worth. So when you spoke about entitlement before, I think a part of entitlement is, let's say you have a big red fire truck, but I don't. Now I'm mm -hmm. going to be envious of you. Right? Yeah. 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 But my self-worth can still be okay, even if you have a big red fire truck. I don't need to be hating on you as another family member if you have that big red fire truck, but I don't, because maybe I have something that I can still be grateful for in my life. For sure. For yeah. sure. And that's where uh, I, think, uh, I would say ego can come in. And that's one of the harder ones because <laughs> it's one thing if, well, and, and the thing about it is that when you're looking at it from this perspective, you're combining two very big things into one where okay. there can be a lot of jealousy. So it's one thing if me and my siblings are getting more attention from one parent than another. So then right. there's jealousy there. Right. And it's one thing if I'm at work and I'm, you know, a coworker is getting more attention from my boss than I am. And I feel like I'm entitled to that attention because I feel personally like I'm working harder, let's say. But in this case, you're combining the two into one. It is okay. both work and family. So it that is. friction is a different dynamic because we are talking here about work and family as, as one, mm -hmm. right? Because it's, so that's that's where it gets different. That's where that's where it can get a little bit more complicated. Yes. Uh, because it's if 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 uh, let's say in the example of, of siblings, right? One sibling is getting jealous. That is not only affecting the relationship with their parents, it's also affecting their potential inheritance and how much they're going, how much of the decision making are they involved in? Right, right. For, for their family. So there's the it, ripple effect. It's a combination of the two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'd like to do a plug real quick for coaching right here because I think that when great coaches can be brought in and they can say to those family members, I think these are some of your strengths then the, the family members can be placed in the right positions. And then, and, and now the infighting doesn't have, have to happen as often or as much. And I think that some of these families are very blessed because I think every family could work out their dysfunction if they could bring in great coaches and consultants and advisors. But the, the typical family in America right now, uh, let's face it, is struggling. So if we are speaking about affluent families, how lucky they are that they can bring it in trusted advisors to help steer these conversations so that the um, what I might call the icebergs underneath the water don't have to grow. Your thoughts, Andres? Uh, absolutely true. Uh, mediation is proven to be a lot better than taking things to court. Sure. <laughs> at the end of the day. Or having um, somebody feel invisible. Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm all for mediation. I'm all for bringing third parties coaches um you know it's uh it's 
it's once again, it's it's a very it's it's personal at a whole nother it's private at a whole nother level for them because they're already secretive and private enough as they are. Right. A lot of them can already have you know recognized names. So these type of things are things that they may want to keep you an extra secret. Yeah. Um, but uh, but bringing in that third party is is always going to be important because um, you need someone that's that can see things from a higher perspective. So and I'm all about side. coaches, and you know we're coaches ourselves. Absolutely. We don't focus so much on the on the legacy side, right? Uh, but we do focus on helping you know, especially Them right develop now, and grow. There's well, yeah, and there's a lot of new wealth in this world now today due to technology, right. social media, and crowdfunding, right. and tech. We're helping a lot of these family offices, these new family offices, now understand what a family office is, develop their family office. You know, a crazy story you're asking about stories. Um, this was within like the first six months that I had started with the company. I got a call and I pick up the phone and the gentleman is telling me, hey, uh, I was watching uh, Richard Wilson's YouTube videos and I got so much value out of the videos. Um more than a couple of your competitors events. That's literally what he told me. Mm-hmm. Um, and his situation was that he has, he had just sold his payment processing company. Okay. Uh, for $400 million. Okay. Okay. So he was in his mid forties. This isn't, isn't Elon Musk back in the day. Go ahead. No, no, no. He, <laughs> he could have sold it to Elon Musk. He could have sold it to Elon. Okay. Potentially. Um, but, um, but, you know, he had been working on this company for 20, he had been working on his company for 20 years. Okay. All he knew was entrepreneurship. And from one day to another, he went from being an entrepreneur that was working 60 to 80 hours to hundred hours a week sure. to selling his company mm-hmm. and having no team, no company, you know, just stepping in to advise a little bit. Yeah. He had two, two properties, two pieces of real estate. And four hundred thousand dollars cash. Okay. Liquid. What's next? So, what's so next? He needed to know what's what do I do? You know, if I need to do something with this money, or else the government's going to come for it. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I was advised, and I was told like you should start a family office. You got to start building your family office, and that's why he came to us, and 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 you know came to us for coaching on on what to do, and yeah. that's becoming a lot more of a common trait. Because you're having a lot of these executives and a lot of these entrepreneurs that are selling their companies for massive paydays and massive exits. Right. Uh, and now they need to figure out, you know, how do I not get involved with the wrong people? Because now everybody wants to advise for them and manage their money. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think deals to their table. And I, I would call it almost like an outside of the box conversation because where is the path already led for them or where's the path already created? They have to create the path. So they have to find people in this world that can offer them feedback and say, okay, great. So yes, uh, today's wealth is uh, there's two thirds of today's affluent are uh, what you might call new money. And h- how, do we, uh, how do we deal with this? What do we do? What's our, what's our next step? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Where do I split it up? Right. Because once again, there's going to be tax. Spent. If you make 400 million, right. Right. One check. Right. Uh, then um, do then they have options you, with it? Yeah. Can well, they... that's the thing. The government's going to come and take half. Right. If right. More. Right. If they don't move the money, if they don't buy real estate, if they don't, you know, invest in environmentally friendly opportunities that come with tax benefits. And yeah. Tax breaks. And I think one of the benefits of the Family Office Club is that education, because with knowledge comes choices. So they don't have to feel like the feeling of fear that they're backed into a corner and, you know, they don't know what to do or there's only one choice. And yeah, people like the most surprising thing. You would think that people, you know, I I always thought like, oh, people with this level of wealth must have access to all the answers and all the resources. But they don't. But they don't know everything. And kind of blow them away. Yeah. And sometimes I didn't surprise myself, like, oh, I kind of knew that already. Like, and they didn't, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, but you know, it's 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 that's the abundance of information there is in the world today. Yeah. You know, there's a lot I don't know that I could learn from others, and there's a lot that they can learn from others as well, regardless yeah. of how wealthy they are. 
Yeah, in the exchange of knowledge in today's knowledge economy, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I and I want to highlight that point before we move on also to the next question that I think a lot of the times when somebody does do very well in a niche, they have focused so much of their time and energy like a laser focus into that area. And then when when it there is a return on investment, you would think they would know about all the blind spots and, and they they haven't had the time to learn about those things. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's it's time. It's yeah, and it's just new blind spots that can come up through changes okay. in the economy and business. And and I also want to make a distinction that a part of that is a conversation around building an individual legacy, and then there's a second conversation about around building a family legacy, mm-hmm. which are two different, very different conversations. So speaking of individual legacies, Andres, what does building an individual legacy personally mean to you? Uh, building to me, to me personally, um, it's it's about the the lessons that you can leave behind for others. It's really about you know after we leave this earth, people saying that you know that you had the golden nugget that led to them making a better decision okay. for their business, you know, and improving the economy. Um, I'm I me personally, I'm I'm. I'm Personally, I consider myself a part-time theologian. Yes, you're very uh, really spiritual like, on your Instagram page. Yeah, yes, and I, yes. And I really like the study of religion. Okay. Um, because, you know, obviously it's, it goes without saying religion divides the world and there's a lot of war due to religion and religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But we know, also need to grow spiritually. Yeah, and spirituality and religion are different. Um, they're, they're, they're different. There, you know, the spirituality is, is, is kind of partially the relationship with yourself and, and, you know, the universe around you, while religion is, is your belief around how that came to be okay. uh, and, and how existence happened, right? Um, but I think by finding the, the common denominator, then, then we can kind of, we can not kind of, we can unite ourselves and prevent war. So, for me, my personal legacy is, is how can I get us to better, greater places of peace in the world, really, yeah. realizing that, um, that we're not that different, even if, if we have different religions. There, we have much more commonalities as a human race than we do differences. Yes. So if I can, if I can bring, so for me, leaving behind a legacy is, if, you know, it's not about me being the star of the show, but if I can put yes. into perspective. Be in service. Yes. Yeah, if I can put it into perspective for someone that wields a lot of power mm-hmm. and it can change their mindset about how to collaborate with others that they may work that maybe they weren't collaborating with before, to me that's leaving behind things. So if you were to share one le- one lesson, so I'm gonna put you on the spot. If you were to mm-hmm. share one spiritual lesson, what would it be? Learn sales. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I'm, I'm the one spiritual lesson. One, the reason I say learn sales is because, uh, sales is about soft skills. It is. It is. And understanding the other person's language and needs. Exactly. It's Mm -hmm. about understanding the other person. And from a spiritual standpoint, I think that everyone I talk to is simply a reflection of myself. Ah, that's very mystical. Yeah. So if you wanted to kind of bring it to that side of things, but bring it more to the technical side, learn sales, because okay. it's about the soft skills, about communicating with people, learning to understand them, learning to understand their problems, their challenges, and through really listening, being able to provide a solution for them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and if, and if a lot of times we have that solution, but if we don't learn how to sell it, then we're not going to be able to bring that person to our sphere of influence. Going right? back to, to me, mm-hmm. that connection through, through what I've learned about sales has been a very spiritual experience because it's really taught me about how to listen to people, how to understand them. And it's allowed me then, and it's opened many doors for me in terms of understanding different cultures, understanding different belief systems that then makes me a lot more of a savvier business person while simultaneously really helping me see how we're not that different from one another, yeah. which is a very spiritual concept. Yeah, if you can understand the person sitting across the desk from you, 
you're much more likely to connect and come up with a resolution and a remedy. And if you can admit to yourself that you don't understand the person. That too. Yes. But, and come to that awareness that I don't know much about this person. Yeah. But then through learning how to ask the right questions, right? Sales is about asking the right questions, being a good question asker. And to me, question asking is a skill that can be mastered. It's not just a neutral skill. Like, oh, we just ask questions, just ask questions. There's a good way to ask questions and there's a bad way to ask questions. And so there's also the awareness of, I don't understand this person. Let me ask the right questions so I can understand. Yeah. So there's also that part of it. Questions lead someone to look in their mind in different places when you ask quality yeah. questions. There's so many different forms of asking questions, right? There's yeah. qualifying questions, closing questions, rapport building questions. There's a lot of different ways to ask questions. Yeah. And I can make the joke, I'm not questioning you. I'm just asking a question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> very good. Yeah, that's very insightful. I have huge respect for salespeople because um, they have to constantly grow in personal development. And many times they are the stars of their company. Yeah, they are the direct bridge between revenue and, you know, they, they are the bridge of that. Right? Yeah. They are the bridge between revenue and the company. They are, they are the ones that are, that are literally the bridge yeah. <laughs> between point A and point B. Uh, but once again, it's, it's you know, that's, uh, and this is why I bring it back to a very spiritual concept because everyone should learn sales. Everyone should consider themselves a salesperson in training, especially as entrepreneurs. Um, But everyone should consider themselves a person in sales or a salesperson in training. Because if you have children, you need to sell your children and why it's important for them to brush their teeth and eat their vegetables and, you know, exercise and not get into trouble and how to make friends and to do their homework. Everything is a sale. Everything is about influencing another person. Right. To do, you know, to do what you feel is in their best interest. And so whether it's, you know, I I have my parents, they're a little getting older now. I want them to drink more water. I want them to eat more vegetables. I want them to take longer walks. If I'm coming from the place of, unawareness just as their son mm-hmm. then i'm not going to get through that they know yeah. everything about me they know me inside and out it's, right your family's going to be the hardest people you could ever influence but if i can turn on my salesmanship and own it yeah and embody it right yeah and, and, and start to treat them like a prospect and start to empathize and ask the right questions and get them a little scared and close them right and <laughs> then I can bring them to where I want them to be, which is good health. So, but if I just come from a place of being their son and just, you know, kind of not being intentional with my words and my sales process and and my form of communication, then I'm less likely to influence them. Yeah. And I think you're also meeting them where they're at compared to talking at them. Exactly. That's That's what we try to do, but it can be the hardest with our family, with our family, it can be the hardest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's a, a saying in coaching, which is, uh, if I give you advice, it's interesting conversation, but if you come up with the answer, you'll own it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before I move on to the next question, what value do you get to honor by implementing this, uh, spiritual lesson around sales? What values do I get to honor? Yeah. Well, I get to honor acknowledgement, which to me is important. I think people really want to feel acknowledged. Uh, I love to feel acknowledged. That's, you know, it's, it's, it was through me realizing when people acknowledge small things or small actions and how that really sits with you and stays with you for the longest time. And like, wow, that sticks with me for the longest time and stick with others. Let me acknowledge them. So it allows me to, to, to acknowledge others for the things that they do. Uh, acknowledge them for giving it their best when maybe they didn't accomplish what they were trying to do. Uh, so that's a really big one for me. Uh, the value of, of keeping an open mind. So they're seen, heard, and understood. Keep going. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Keeping an open mind. 
I want to learn as much as I can about this world and everything that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never want to close the door to anything without giving it a good look. Um, you know, I will walk into any religious building and sit down with the individual there and ask them to teach me about their beliefs. Um, with that's beautiful. With a very uh, neutral, you know, yeah. ear, and uh, trying as best as I can to suppress my ego, which can never be done. And also, you know, zero point. That's why I really love the concept of like zero point. You know, being at zero point where you're not. It's it's a it's a neutral right place of observation. And and um, it, it and it takes a what I might call a skill or a muscle of self management. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Constant every day, but it's going to open up your, you know, it's opened up the world to me, you know? Um, So uh, are there any positive influences that have inspired you personally that you might share with the viewers and listeners? Yeah. I know this is going to be cheesy, (laughs) but, uh, but, but Richard C. Wilson. uh, I wonder if you were going to say that. Okay. Yeah, I know, but it's, uh, but look, I do, I do what I like to do. And I love working for this company. You love uh, your work. Part. Yeah. I love my work. And it's yeah. because of, but it's because of how I'm treated in this organization. And it's also because of the, seeing what he's been able to build, seeing the amount of respect that he gets from these family offices due to the person that he is, due to and, his work ethic. And the respect he gives. The respect he gives. Oh, the yeah. respect he gives. Uh, the respect he gives and, um, but, but, you know, but for, for who he is, you know, he's a model father, he's a model entrepreneur. And, uh, and for me, um, you know, as a young man, it's good to, to be able to observe that and and to take those lessons from that. Yeah. So that's one, but I I have many, I have many more. (laughs) Yeah. I want you, I want you to share in a moment. I, I want to also acknowledge Richard that, um, I don't know if I've ever seen him be arrogant regarding his level of success, which mm-hmm. is uh, talk about a soft skill, a, an asset, an intangible asset. Because uh, if we think of that saying by John C. Maxwell, it's not what somebody knows. Uh, they remember how that person treats them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think that also comes from his, uh, his, his, he, you know, from where he wants to be. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, I really think we'll see uh, Richard on the on the billionaires list. Okay. Uh, and you know, I, I'm, I strongly believe that. Okay. Um, because of his level of integrity and his okay. trajectory. Um, so, so I think part of that is also that uh, that he knows he has a long way to go relative to what he really wants to accomplish. So. And taking the long view. Yeah. Taking yeah. The long view. Yeah. yeah. And I I heard a quote a long time ago. I really changed my perspective on a lot of things. It says, uh, treat victory and defeat like the imposters that they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, Because a lot of things, times we think we're victorious or we think we've been defeated, but at the end of the day, the game is not over until, until it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can celebrate for a little bit, but we got to remember we always have more work to do. Or as, as Winston Churchill joked, you know, never, ever, ever give up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, good, good. So who are some others? Or uh, is there anything else you'd like to share about Richard Wilson? No, uh, so, so I definitely have some others um, in terms of, uh, you say idols? Well, well, I don't mean as idols in the sense, I, what I mean by uh, th- this question is positive role models, because I know that, yeah, I think, you know, uh, and I've mentioned this before in other podcasts, uh, there was this game called show and tell growing up, but as adults, uh, we look much more at the actions of somebody more than their words, you know, are yeah. they really embodying it? And I think today we need positive role models and a positive role model doesn't necessarily have to be a celebrity or a politician. It can be somebody that we know right in our immediate circle that's owning their values and, striving for their yeah, goals for sure yeah uh there's a there's a new guy coming up he's kind of new but he's definitely has a lot of momentum his name's patrick bet david oh and, um, yes yes value entertainment yeah value entertainment yeah value-tainment. and um you know he just put up uh he put up he's willing to put up five million dollars right now okay uh, to have obama and trump sit down with him and record an episode of the show 
Oh, he yeah. It's yeah. like, if he can pull that off, that'd be amazing. Because he's, he's an Iranian immigrant. He that, is. Uh, that and served he's... in the military. So to have an Iranian, American, successful businessman that's living the American dream, interviewing two former presidents that are on two different sides of the spectrum, that would be quite a thing to watch and okay. uh, something that can really unify a lot of people. Uh, From all the differences. Different... Yeah. So, yeah. so I love that. I love that, that he, you know, you can tell that he, he really cares about making sure people get it. Uh, so love watching his stuff. You like, Grant his, Cardone fan. you like his boldness, his honesty, his courage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I like Grant Cardone and, and uh, you know, I, I, I was raised by, by a lot of, of women in, okay. in my life as, okay. when I was young. Um, so, you know, as I, as I grew into, into a young man, uh, having like very masculine role models was important to me because I had so much female influence. And, you know, I think that in, in the country, I do agree with the side that says that there's a lot of um, attack on masculinity, you know. We shouldn't attack masculinity. We should go after toxic masculinity. But yeah, and there's, there's a difference. There's a of, but there's a difference, you know. Yeah. And so masculinity so, is wonderful. Toxic masculinity tears a person down to the point yeah. of continuing lies. But regular yeah. masculinity is like the knight in shining armor. That's the provider, the protector. Exactly. It's so very different energy. Phaedrus like Kulin, Grant Cardone, Patrick Bedin, you know, yeah. great role models for young men uh that we need more of right now we need more positive role models yes yes and i'm all for positive masculinity because that can protect uh what needs to be protected yeah yeah not compared to the dysfunction correct yeah good good wonderful yeah well we'll have to see if uh Valuetainment. I, I can't. Uh, what did you say his name was? Uh, Bet. Patrick Bet David. Yes, yes. He, he's and he's been very bold in um, covering some subjects. So we'll go a little controversial for one moment, and then I'll go back to being conservative and neutral. Yeah, he's covered uh, some topics that are very dicey, including uh, the JFK murder, and he's brought members of the former <laughs> mafia onto his uh, platform yeah. to question them. And um, and I think he's searching for the truth. Obviously, I. Think he needs to be careful that he doesn't step on some toes that are out there mm-hmm. because there are secrets that have been buried internationally not just nationally but um i think he's very brave and and bravery comes in a lot of different forms in order to break the molds that are out there absolutely because there isn't just one way to do something in this lifetime yeah absolutely we can be leaders more than followers okay good good and um so how do you get to honor your core values? I know that you're, you've been very proactive in what I might call combining play with work, which keeps it exciting and it mm-hmm. keeps it healthy and you're always growing. But uh, what other ways might you get to honor your values? And the reason I'm asking this question is because there's something about defining, developing, and executing our legacies in real time that I'd, I'd like people to see that it's not just something theoretical in a book. There are people that are, you know, grabbing life right now and they're embracing their legacies. So. Yeah. So I have a great team. Um, you know, I'm now the managing director for the family office club and uh, co-founder with Richard on uh, pitchdex.com, the marketing agency that has grown. Uh, and the team is great. Uh, really love working with my team and, the opportunity to be able to acknowledge them is great. Okay. The that they do, they make my life a lot easier. And uh, it's, it's a relatively new paradigm for me uh, because um, I'm doing, you know, I'm managing a marketing team now and a sales team versus I've been more used to my career to managing events teams and sales teams. So, okay. uh, so, so that, you know, being able to, to have a team to acknowledge really allows for that. Uh, you know, through um, prior to COVID nineteen, we did thirty five live events in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, um, which involved which involved a lot of travel. I went to thirty four of the thirty five for Family Office Club. Okay. Um, so Richard and myself were on a plane every single week, uh, traveling to different cities, to different countries, uh, to put on these events, and I love that. You know, it, kept, it keeps me on my toes, keeps me experiencing different cultures, 
Um, you know, I would have to wake up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. to catch a flight. Mm-hmm. Then the next day, 4 or 5 a.m. to set up for the event, work a full day event, which is, you know, full adrenaline, go, 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 meet with every many people as you can, wake up again super early to meet with clients, and then wake up the next day. Or maybe I'd go to, you know, to, to the well, east side of California and go hiking in Yosemite or Palm Springs. So I'd have to wake up early for that. So it just kept me like really on my toes and kept me in the 5, 6 a.m. club. Yeah. Um, so when COVID-19 happened, uh, it kind of grounded me, right? Like all of a sudden I'm waking up at like 7.30, 8 o'clock, making my coffee at home and then, you know, onto my next Zoom call. Um, but, uh, but now, you know, things have opened up again. So once again, keeping that open mind uh, and, you know, moved down to South America now, I'm living in Medellin, Colombia, to be able to plant my roots in my motherland. I was born in New York, but both my parents are Colombian. Um, and, you know, traveling and doing a little bit of the virtual living life on the road somewhat, as you can say, um, is, has, has been good. And, and once again, I had to have an open mind to that. I had to be able to take that risk. And, and uh, it's been really good. It's been really good, a, a huge learning experience. So, so yeah. that's... This job has allowed me to, uh, and working for Richard has allowed me to practice my core values because I love having an open mind, an open mind to traveling. To I travel by myself a lot, uh, and most people are very close to that concept. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I'm I'm able to practice that. You know, I I went to Colombia myself, came to Europe by myself, and I'll be going back by myself. So. Yeah. Well, I would add to that, that I think that as you grow personally and you challenge yourself, then you're much more able to lead somebody because you've, what I might call, walked through the path, through the forest, that it's not like you're just sitting behind a a box in your comfort zone, asking somebody else to take leaps of faith. You're out there going, what's what I'm going to take a bike ride today or be on my scooter. What's that? What's the unknown path? Yeah, that's the most important thing I, uh, for me, being out of my comfort zone. That's yeah. uh, that's where I'm, you know, most likely to just do my best work. Yeah, uh, and and to to stay healthy. Yes, and I might also add before I move to the final question, um, I think that when you mentioned spirituality before, that there is a meaning to life that spirituality can bring, because it can't just always be about the money. Because if we get addicted to the money then that can sway our decisions compared to choosing to live life and steer our businesses from a place of balance. Yeah. Was that a question? Um, If you have any thoughts that you'd like to add to it, it's more of a statement, but please add your thoughts. Yeah. um, Spiritual experiences mean a lot more to me than material possessions any day. Yeah. Uh, And you know, that, that's due to my own personal spiritual experiences uh, that, that are rich and, and deep and have allowed me to, you know, to, to surpass a lot of, you know, traumas that I had as a kid and challenges growing up. So I can see why those things would matter more to me. Uh, also, you know, coming from New York, I worked in Manhattan for three years. I lived in South Florida, in, you know, between Fort Lauderdale and Miami for eight years. You see a lot of materialism, you see a lot of superficiality, you see a lot of love and desire for material possessions bling, and, bling. Um, and identities <laughs> to that. And, uh, and you see that there can, that there, can, there can be a lot of sadness tied to that. Loneli- loneliness and emptiness. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So um, yeah. And, so, and I might add that I think the younger generations, they are seeking uh, experiences and they're willing to invest in that to have those experiences compared to maybe a boat, you know, a yacht or. For sure. But then, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I try to, you know, I come, I consider myself a hyper moderate. Okay. Um, I'm a hyper moderate. So it's like, while I do love my experiences and I do love traveling, I want to make sure that I'm building my nest. Egg. I want to okay. make sure that I'm investing. I want to make sure that I'm working. Uh, you know, I'm not the one that's going to be, you know, backpacking through Europe, working online gigs, and, you know, bartending in Southeast Asia to, and then, you know, moving from country to country and, you know, learning how to surf, you know, that's, that's not me. Uh, I love capitalism. 
Okay. Uh, you know, I love marketing. Um, so, so it's just about finding the balance between the two because I want to be able to, to, to build my nest egg and, and one day myself have a family office. Good, good. So as we come to a close, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge, uh, acknowledge Richard Wilson for something, and then I'm going to lead into the final question. And, and mm. what I'd like to acknowledge him for is um, that I think he's done a very good job of keeping his ear to the ground, as in like the CEO who walks the floor and understanding the needs in the marketplace. Yep. Yeah, I think he just listened a little bit better and, and it's paid off uh, fruitfully for him. So the final question is, as the landscape is changing each year due to many different influences, um, including technology, scaling business models, and other changes, where do you think, as it, when it comes to legacy, uh, where do you think coaches and advisors and so forth can offer the best advice or meet the needs today? And obviously, this is also a platform for other coaches, anyone who's watching, so that we can expand the conversation around legacy and not just have it be a tiny little niche. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is that every family is going to have different needs. Now, I get this question a lot in terms of like particular deals. You know, where do family offices want to invest? Okay. Where do family offices, you know, what type of businesses do they run? You know, what type of real estate are they into? Every family is different. Okay. Um, so the best thing that I can offer, and this is, you know, I've, 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 I've ran a lot of events for coaches. Um, the best thing that I can offer coaches and advisors is learn how to ask the right questions and learn how to sell. Um, it's, it's very crucial. A lot of coaches, they're very heartfelt. They come from the heart. They're very giving. Yeah. Um, you know, they want to give, you know, they're in it because they see an opportunity to help a family, not just money. Yeah. They call um, them light workers. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But then, you know, if, and, but you have to remember that you're talking to a family, you're talking to an individual that has a very strong relationship with money, a very strong one. I would say, and I'm saying a strong in a good way, right? They've been able to accumulate an abundance of wealth. And you need to be able to come with that same level of comfort around the conversation of money. Okay. Okay. Many coaches that I meet are not comfortable around the conversation of money. They're oh. not comfortable talking about their price point. They're not comfortable asking for the sale. They're not comfortable going for the close. And they're just giving and giving and giving and giving, right. but they're never asking for anything in return, which is, you know, whatever your package or consulting fee is. Yeah. Um, so it's not so much, you know, about like, where should they focus? What is the problem that they can solve for family offices? It's how are you, how are you analyzing their need? And approaching the you, conversation ahead of time. Exactly. Yeah, the how are you analyzing their need? You know, how are you asking questions? How are you offering a solution? And then how are you offering a price point for that solution? Like I said, many coaches, many advisors, many consultants that don't come from a finance background or a marketing or business background or from, mm -hmm. from another type of, you know, anything, right? Life coaching, family coaching, parenting, uh, legacy, um, you know, farming coaching, doesn't matter if it's, if it's not like finance focused. I see a lot of challenges with them with developing clear sales processes to really be able to get clients. So and what you're what you're saying is that the coaches and advisors out there need to talk the language of these families they, and these families. They need offices. to talk the language. They need to be comfortable talking about money. You know, they have to be comfortable. What how is your, you know, as, as, as the coaches out there have to ask themselves, what is my relationship with money? You know, and how do yeah. I feel? And how do I feel about wealth? You know, um, and you know, am I am I able to to bring up money right away? I'm I'm a big I'm big on you bring up price at the beginning. Oh, interesting, you know, interesting. At the very, very, very beginning, because the, what happens is most people build up the value of their okay. product, okay, and then they give the price, and then the sticker shock drops that value because now the person's only thinking about the price point. Whereas when you can 
give the price from the beginning, let's okay. say, oh, I charge $80,000 a year for my consulting, right? So now they know the price. And they can, you get to the point. And now you're building up the value. This is what the 80,000 will get. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, wow, I can see why now it's worth okay. 80,000. Okay. Versus this is the value I give you, it's 80,000. Oh, Chuck, that, that's a lot. Yeah. Right? You do it backwards give the price first and then build the value on top of that then they're like then they can justify the price point because the last thing they're thinking about is they're analyzing all of the benefits and the results that your service is going to bring and they already you already took care of the price from the beginning of the conversation yeah even if there was sticker shock oh my god eighty thousand. Yeah. what do i get for that right well, let me tell you let yeah. me tell you because after i tell you you're actually going to see how that makes a lot of sense and when you tell them like, okay that makes a lot of sense yeah Good, good. All right. Well, thank you, Andres, for sharing yeah. your thoughts. I think that they're very realistic, and I appreciate that. And um, no, thank you for standing in your values and being so transparent about what it is you like, even if it touches upon political subjects that could be kind of dicey today. I think that we need to cross those bridges and not be so divided as a world. And uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure. 100%. And just respect each other's opinions. Yes. So is there anything else you'd like to close with? No, that's really it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Glad that we got to do this after being in communication for so many years. Yes. Uh, and love to see, um, I'm loving, you know, seeing your brand develop and, and seeing uh, your, your organization develop because I still remember our, our first phone call five years ago. So yeah, look forward to keep seeing it grow. Wonderful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Andres. And uh, for anyone who's listening, please like, subscribe, and share with your family and friends. And there will also be a podcast version available on the Apple Podcast and as well as um, a couple of the other platforms out there like SoundCloud. Okay. So thank you so much, Andres. And we look forward to connecting again soon in the future. Thanks, Angelina.